It's amazing how sermons are born, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But I'd like to begin by inviting you to turn with me to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. After recounting the challenges that he went through, Paul tried to encourage his protege, Timothy, this young man that was going to follow in his footsteps. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. He was trying to encourage this young man that was about to follow in his footsteps. And giving him a condensed version of the journey that Paul experienced. He capped it off with these words that we read this morning. He said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. But I like the next word. What is it? Nevertheless. I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have together, committed to him until that day. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, this morning as we open your word, we pray that you'll open our hearts. Speak to our minds, Lord, that we may understand the roots and the fruits of commitment. We pray that your spirit will find fertile soil and begin to plant in the hearts and minds of the listeners and the viewers why 2022 can be far greater for them than 2021. So I give you my mind and heart and do what you alone can accomplish and I will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I like to find out why things happen the way they do. I'm a little inquisitive. I was a little inquisitive kid. And I got in trouble a lot by trying to figure out what made things tick. It stimulated me to find out. And not to go down any dark paths, but I had many a sore attempts at sitting down. When I did the wrong thing, trying to figure out what made things tick. My dad had this commitment that he never broke. When I stepped out of line, he always tried to get me back in line. And so the word commitment was something that, even as an adult, I started to really dig into a little bit more. And as a pastor, I started revisiting and revisiting and revisiting and visiting again and again and again this word committed. Because it began to ask, I began to ask the questions, why... Would Christians be so willing to go to the stake and to lose their lives in persecution? Why would a single man stand up against the monolith of persecution? And it all came down to that simple word. He was committed. They were committed. And as we face a new year in a burgeoning world of problems that are too numerous to begin to even name, from disease to finances to war to unstable economies, 
to pleasure-seeking and pleasure-loving, the distractions are too numerous to really begin to recount. The Lord has impressed me strongly that this year, that our church's aim for this year and next year and the next year could simply be one word that describes who the church is in Thompsonville. We should be described as committed. Committed. Not committed to a feeling or committed to a time of year, but committed every moment of every day of our lives. Committed. Committed. I think of the story of Starbucks. You know, Starbucks is a fascinating business. There are some people that cannot begin their day without first visiting Starbucks. What do they do when the day comes like Christmas Day and Starbucks is not open? My brother's girlfriend, she says, I cannot begin my day without first getting my coffee. Don't talk to me until I get my coffee. And Starbucks found a way, just like Lazy Boy Recliners found a way to make money because of lazy people. <laughs> Starbucks found a way to make money for people that love to be stimulated. And whenever I go to the airport and whenever we travel, whenever we see a new Starbucks open up, we know, based on their slogan, the slogan of Starbucks is, brewed for those who love coffee. But Starbucks wasn't the first ones. Because I notice when you go to restaurants, if you order tea or hot chocolate, you don't get free refills. You only get free refills on coffee. Because they know that if they can get you stimulated to like their brand of coffee or the way they brew it, you'll come back again and again. Not because you like the food, but because you like the stimulation. And I began to notice the church in America and the church around the world is having to battle between being stimulated or being committed. And religion has become a continual round of how can we stimulate people to come to church? How can we stimulate more people to enter the building? And the gospel has been pushed aside from a gospel of commitment to a gospel of stimulation. But stimulation, you'll discover, is an enemy to commitment. Because, stim because commitment does not require stimulation. As far back as you can go, you'll find that stimulation and commitment are in constant battle. Go back to the very beginning, before the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that Lucifer was perfect in the way that he was created until the day that iniquity was found in him. And when you read the story and you follow the, the, the train of the great controversy, you find that thoughts, that he allowed his thoughts to be stimulated, to be revisited, until it went into an insatiable desire to replace God. His commitment to God was replaced by his stimulation to replace God. And today, stimulation is driving much of what makes the world go round. Said another way, what we should do is often canceled and postponed by what we don't feel like doing. Stimulation. Stimulation varies with, by, with incentive. People often ask the question, what's in it for me? That's stimulation. 
But commitment is anchored in principle because commitment has already decided that it is not about me. It is about something greater than myself. And when you look at these two emotions, stimulated or committed, both of them fight to be the, the place where the heart takes up residence. Both desire to reside in the heart because stimulation and commitment knows that the heart is the seat of every battle we face. And that's why you'll discover that stimulation is ineffective when the heart is committed. Stimulation cannot work when the heart is committed. Look at Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. The Lord began to remind the grown-up version of the Israelites that left Egypt when they were just simply young children. Deuteronomy is like the second exodus. It is the book written for those who have grown up now. The Lord already told this to the parents, but now that some of them died in the journey of the wilderness, God is now reiterating this to those who have grown up. He said to the now adult children, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's commitment. Because if you love the Lord with all, with all, with all, how much is left for everybody else? Absolutely nothing. What is God saying? When I have first place in your life and you are completely committed to me, then you are safe to operate in the arena of other relationships. The Lord knew that the Israelites would face these constant battles from Egypt to Canaan, and he wanted those who saw their parents die off for one reason or the other, either losing their passion to follow Christ or being persuaded by the nations that they confronted. He said to the grown-up children now, I want you to do what your parents may have failed to do, to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I can say to us today, the safety for the church in the last days is the same safety that the Israelites were given by God. Today, there will be no room for stimulation if we allow ourselves to be committed by loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, and all our strength. Can you say amen? amen. You find that commitment does not argue with requirements. Let's say that again. Commitment does not argue with requirement. When you're committed to somebody, doing for them, like my wife and I do for each other, there's no argument. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm tuned into the nuances of her voice. Sometimes I'd hear her far away from her, she'd go, oh, and I'll be in the middle of something and I'll get up, are you okay? And I'll find that maybe something fell on her foot or something she touched in the oven burned her finger. But you're so committed, you become nuanced, you become locked into the very nuances. Wouldn't that be amazing that the very nuances of God gets our attention that quickly? If God says, this is the way you walk you in it, the nuances of God speaking to us gets our attentions very quickly. When you look at, look at commitment, look at how God further illustrated this. And he also indicated the blessing of commitment. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. 
He said, and now, Israel, look at this. What does the Lord your God, what is the next word? Require of you. He didn't say, what would you like to do for the Lord? What do you feel like doing for me? This idea that God does not require anything of us, but that we could do it when we feel like it, is foreign to the principles of the kingdom. He says, what does the Lord your God require of you? And here it is. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to do what else? To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Leaders, that's how we serve God. In verse 13, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today. And look at the last three words. What are they? For your good. Oh, if we could only know that serving God is for our good, how much will we serve God? If we knew, I saw just recently somebody actually sent me this video clip, and um, it was funny. I had to laugh. It was, a, it was a picture of a boy opening for Christmas a PS5 box. I don't know. It's a PlayStation 5. You know, young people, they just so inoculated by playing games. So he was opening this box, and on the front cover, the picture of the PlayStation 5 is a PS5, and the caption read, I told my son I would get him the PlayStation 5 system whether he did good in school or not. What stimulation is that? What motivation is that? What commitment is that? So I'm looking at the picture as he's opening the box, and it's funny how they do that. He's opening the box. His face is lit up. Well, he opens the box, and there's not a PS5 in there. There are pencils and pens and notebook paper <laughs> and he looks in the box and he looks up at the video where it's like his mother he realized at that moment no you gotta do what i require before you get the benefits somebody ought to say amen when we do what god requires we discover the last three words it's not all the stuff on the top but it's for your good and I just really, I, I saw about myself, I just chuckled, I should have shown you the video. It was really funny, this young kid, he was all, he was all ready for Christmas morning. And, the, and it looked like the first thing he went through was the PS5 box. And, and whoever took the video, you know, to use their phone and just took video as he opened the box. And they, all the pens and papers and the notebook in the, in the box. He, they, what you think is on the inside I am not going to give you what you want if you don't do what I require. We ought to grab that as Christians. But you'll notice, you'll notice that God revealed the blessing after he revealed the requirement. Look at verse 14. Here's what the Lord said, and I, I love the way this picture is drawn in the mind of those who read it. He said to the Israelites, Indeed, heaven... And the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and also the earth with all that is in it. Now, why is he saying that? Because he knew that in the journey from Egypt to Canaan, the Israelites would be confronted by nations that would be trying to stimulate away their allegiance to God. But what was he saying? Why? Or how 
could you let someone stimulate away your commitment to me when I own everything? What are they going to give you that I don't own? You know what they're going to give you? Heartache, disappointment, failure. And the list goes on and on. So today, in a society where stimulation has now become the byproduct or the number one selling thing to get people to go to church, somehow the world has convinced Christians that if religion or Christianity doesn't stimulate you, then it can't really be all that good. Knowing human nature, knowing the generational impact of being in Egypt for 400 years, knowing the nations that lay in the pathway of Israel, God reminded them, don't allow those who don't owe anything or own anything to stimulate away your allegiance from me. I like the way that Psalmist David said it. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, you've read this since you were a child. The Lord said to us, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. How much does God own? Come on, say it. Everything. So if you are a thing-centered person, the best person to know is God. But know this, God is not going to give you anything that's going to be for your harm. Everything that God is giving you, every good and every perfect gift comes from God. But getting back to the thought of stimulation, stimulation ignores commitment by seeking to persuade us that there is something that God is incapable of providing. And when you listen to that lie, stimulation sends you on an unquenchable search for something that you will not find in the presence of God. That's how the great controversy began. Eve, by ignoring what God required, entered into an unquenchable search for what God was not offering. And today, we know what that is. Adam did the same thing. And what is it? Pain and death and sorrow and disappointment. When you search for something that God is not offering... When you are stimulated to turn away from that which God prospers and promises. When we are stimulated to look for something that is not in God's, in God's capacity to bless us with. <clears throat> then all of a sudden we find that we end up down a road that is not a happy road. But it's a road filled with disappointment and sadness. But if you stop and think about it, that's the kind of world we live in. Everything about our world is stimulating. But let me begin with a, an illustration that the Lord brought to my mind about this whole idea. And I thought, uh, as, I was, as I was reading, because I like to read a lot of books during the week, and, and even in our time of reading our Bible together, this theme, this theme came to me as we were laying in bed and just finished reading. And as I was sharing with Angie what I was reading, she woke up early in the morning. She said, you up? And I said, yeah, I've been reading. I've been reading for a long time. I like to read books, and sometimes I can't do that during the day because I'm busy. So I try to read early in the morning, and I lay in bed, and, and, and I get a book on Kindle, and I'm reading a book, and I'm reading one now called Mental Toughness. It's a Harvard book review. Phenomenal book. But 
I tried to figure out how could I illustrate the blessing of commitment and the negative impact of stimulation. And here's what the Lord gave me. The very impact of alcohol consumption. I want you to follow me carefully. Because you might ask yourself the question, what does alcohol consumption have to do with Christianity? The comparisons are amazing. I was reading what one doctor wrote about how alcohol affects us. He says, the initial dose of alcohol signals the brain to release dopamine. That's called a happy hormone. Which can cause one to feel stimulated. Which is why they call it the happy hour. How many of you worked in the city? I know when I worked in the Wall Street area, on Fridays, all the bars, when the businesses were closing, all the bars were open. They said, you know, the drinks were lower for happy hour. Ha ha happy. They want to get them all in there, stimulate them, and send them home drunk and broke. And somehow the, the bars knew when payday was. And so they go in there stimulated and go home broke. It's amazing how the prelude to destruction is called happy hour. But look at this. The wise man under inspiration hit the nail on the head when he described the impact of stimulation. Look at these, and I want you to grab this as I unfold it. He begins with a question, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Proverbs 23, verse 29 to 35. Thank you, honey. Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35. He says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed drink or mixed wine. He continues, verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. <laughs> Anybody remember those days? He says, verse 34, Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass. That's moving so much, saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And then you with the question, when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Oh, man, thank you for reminding me. We had a guy that lived on the third floor in our house in New York, in Brooklyn. My, wife, my father and I were sitting in the kitchen because we had this ritual. Every night we would have Ovaltine or hot chocolate before we go to bed. So here we are one evening sitting in the kitchen, which was in the back of the house. And we heard this. I mean, thump. And does anybody know what, the, what a shoot is? Yes. If you live in the city, the shoot was in the, you know, the tenement buildings where in the, in the days gone by, that's where the trucks, when coal was delivered, they would shovel it down the chute where it could get into the furnace. So we had a chute in the front and a chute in the back, and we heard this loud bang on the chute and went outside, 
and we saw one of our tenants that lived on the third floor laying on the chute. What happened is he got drunk and mistook the window for a door. And he walked out the window and fell three stories. Hit the chute like a boom. Did not break a bone. Did not get a scratch. Have you noticed even when people die in terrible head-on collisions because of a drunk driver, the drunk driver often walks away unharmed? Because the body is so stimulated, it's in a limp position. Because after it is overstimulated, it has to find a way to release what has stimulated it. So it now causes the body to be limp. Such is the case when people are overstimulated by things that seem to be religious. And they go home and their experience is limp. Because like all stimulants, they temporarily stimulate you but they keep you craving for more of the same thing. Amen. Just go down the list. Drugs, alcohol, sex, violence, movies, media, social media. The stimulus check. <laughs> you know what amazes me? I got to just say this. Lord, this is not a political statement. <laughs> You know, people that hated a certain president or hated the other president, they still accepted the stimulus check. You know, I said, if you don't like them, send the check back when it comes. How crazy that is. Anyway, that's enough for politics. But it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When you are stimulated, the only thing it does is you have this limp experience. And you can't wait till next week to go back. And we were in a church in, China, in, a, uh, in Singapore. You went out there that time. We were in a church in Singapore when I was singing with the Heritage Singers. They had called me to join them out at the, in, the, in Singapore, and I met them over there in Singapore. And we were at a church on a Sunday morning. And as soon as we walked into the foyer, you smelled coffee, and they had donuts in the foyer. And when they had, this, when they had the song service, you know, <laughs> I forgot. The bass singer turned to me and said, is that the Holy Spirit or is that coffee? Which one is it? Because they were like, it's like, and it was like, and people were hyped. And I, and I recently discovered as I was studying harmful stimulants, they said that in most cultures and even in pagan religions, the preferred beverage is coffee. Because before the person gets to the place where they are euphoric, coffee helps move them in the direction of euphoria by introducing a stimulant. And that's why these religions are addictive, because what they teach you to do and what they introduce into your system are both addictive. But don't forget what the Bible text said. After all these stimulants let you down, at last it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. Your eyes see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, you can't make sense out of what is clear in God's word because your religion is based on stimulation. So it's hard to, it's 
Somebody was just telling me, actually Donald Owen was telling me, he put together a six-minute video. And he said most people only watch two minutes. And when I was preaching in California, somebody tried to get me to shorten my sermon by saying to me, you know, people only have a 20-minute attention span. And he had on a San Francisco 49ers jacket. So I said, why don't you watch just 20 minutes of the Super Bowl? It didn't sit well with him. We had a church. They were all San Francisco 49ers fans. And I just detested when the Super Bowl came around. It's because like 30% of our congregation wore San Francisco 49er jackets to church on Sabbath morning. What do you think they were talking about? The football, not about Jesus. And as a young pastor with jet black hair and nothing but gas in my tank, man, I would get that church so mad at me, they tried to get rid of me for three and a half years. They sent letters to the conference. I still have those letters in my father this very day. I sometimes look back and, man, they could not stand me. Because when the, when, the, when the blue angels came around, I wouldn't see half of the congregation. And I'd say, where are they? They said, well, the blue angels are in town today. You know, the marine jets wasn't too far away. Navy wasn't too far away from where we were. Next Sabbath, I'd say, yeah, we should be preaching the three angels rather than watching the blue angels. Man, they didn't like me. <laughs> but after five and a half years being there, through torment and tribulation, that church was packed. We had baptisms like crazy. People came in that wanted to be committed rather than just stimulated. But when you look at this whole ideology of stimulation, religion that's based on stimulation has the same effect. Temporary stimulation, craving for more of the same thing. And when you just look at religion today, look at, just take the time to... The look at the, just go to YouTube if you'd like to do that. Just look at, just type in praise services or, or concerts. Or, it's all about stimulation. The 7 Eleven songs. And it's like, it's like people, it's like they released nerve gas in the, in the room. Because people seem to be senselessly. And they say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. I say, well, just tell them, keep his commandments. Now, I don't love you that much. Stimulation. That's why Daniel, one of the things he did, Daniel refused to do what the church is not refusing to do today. Daniel refused to partake of the wine of Babylon, which the church today is drinking the wine of Babylon. Look what he said in Daniel 1 and verse 8. When Daniel was in the courts of Babylon, but Daniel purposed Another word for purpose is committed. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Oh, if people today would be so determined, because if you read Revelation scenario, you find that the reason why the church is in danger today is because the wine of Babylon is not exclusive to the world. It's being poured into a religious context. Today, now you have religious leaders that are preaching motivational sermons when, in fact, none of them motivate you to live right. Just to wait for your ship to come in or for your butterfly wings to spread or, or your, you know, this, week, this year you're, you're going to get this job or get that car, get that house. And as Norman Vincent Peale once told a person, the reason why God has not given you things is because you don't have enough faith. Stimulation. The world is being stimulated to death 
because Babylon's wine is stimulating. If you think about the world for a moment, each iteration of a new device or social media or gadgets or endless amusement, movies, drugs, fashion, sex, pornography, new thrills, all have at its core stimulation. And that's where addiction comes in. Craving for more of the same thing. And that's why I said when they legalized marijuana, I thought they're trying to dumb down the nation in time for the next election. Make us stupid. I meet a, I've met people that smoke marijuana. They look happy, but they don't even know what they're saying. How you doing? How you doing? I'm all right. How you doing? <laughs> you smell them coming, and you smell them leaving. We were down in the Virgin Islands. Go to the beach. <sighs> Let's go to another beach. You can smell the marijuana everywhere. But the government is exploiting people. Because they figured out if they want to be stimulated, we might as well make some money off of this stimulation. Remember years ago, alcohol was illegal? Remember bootlegging? Same thing. Same thing. Bootlegging is, is now no longer an issue because the government has legalized that. Everything that's wrong for you has been legalized because if they could make money off of your desire to be stimulated, I don't care about you. Cigarettes, most, one of the most deadly things you could put in your mouth, but it brings stimulation. Over 300 chemicals in that cigarette. But cigarette, coffee, alcohol, stimulation. And many people don't know that the Marlboro man died of throat cancer. Old people know what I'm talking about. Amen. Some of you young people, who's the Marlboro man? Look it up on YouTube. It's all, I'm sure it's on this. Unfortunately, Christianity is being exploited by the same course. Many Christians are pursuing deeper stimulation rather than deeper holiness. And so you got you to... Why should I come to your church? Well, you know, we're Bible-based. That don't do it anymore. We are Bible-based. We teach solid scriptural doctrines. Amen. And they walk in and they see a, a pianist and four people singing. And they know. Ah. <sighs> And the problem is the things that people are exposed to on day-to-day -day during the week, they want the pastor no longer to be a preacher but a drug dealer. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, this is coming. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, this is coming. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. That is the day and age in which we live, stimulation. But we didn't just get here. When you look at the trek of the seven churches, when you look at the church of Sardis existing at a time where religion began to be diluted by the political forces of the Roman Empire, 
introducing all the things that stimulate a society and called Judaizing and keeping the Sabbath anathema. They made keeping the Sabbath and being faithful to God's word a bad thing. So they introduced feasting and merrymaking on Sunday. And that's why the Lord said what he did about the church of Sardis. Look at Revelation 3 and verse 1. At a time when the church was being diluted by Roman influence, he said, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are what? You're dead. And so people think that the, the atmosphere is exciting. You know, and now let us welcome... Oh. That's why I liked it one day when the sermon that Joel Osteen got the least amount of amens on was when he talked about the dangers of eating pork. He said to the deacons, lock the door, don't let anybody out. And there was not a whole lot of amens that Sunday. But when he talked about the ship coming in and you're going to have your this and you're going to get that and God's going to bless you with that and God's going to bring this, people like to be stimulated. But truth is losing its grip because truth does not require stimulation. It's all about commitment. Now let's get down to the last part of the story because where are we in this trek of how this is happening to the church? If you look at Revelation chapter 3, it talks about where we are today, the very last church in the trek of this whole 6,000-year-old journey of stimulating and causing people to no longer be committed. The Lord looks at the church today, and here's what he says about us and every other religion. Revelation 3 and verse 17, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Why? Because truth is no longer the focus of the relationship. This is nothing more than a Starbucks religious generation. I read a book called Thrill to Death, and let me read to you what Dr. Archibald Hart He's a Baptist psychologist, and he did an amazing study. If you want to read a book that helps you understand your young folk, read this book, Thrill to Death. And he wrote another one called The Digital Invasion. But here's what he said. He said, compared to the ease with which our grandparents were able to find delight in relatively low-stimulating activities, it now takes an enormously high level of stimulation to deliver just a modicum or small measure of enjoyment. He's in essence saying, the things that made your grandparents happy can't even phase you nowadays. <laughs> you remember those old movies where kids got a baseball bat for Christmas and that was like, hit a home run. You give a kid a baseball bat nowadays, you better run. He said there is a pervasive emotional numbness overtaking us. Just as my grandchildren, and they will tell you exactly what it feels like. Many people now report what some has called a joyless existence and that's happening in Christianity. How many people are excited to come to church anymore? Because coming to church is not about excitement. It's about commitment. A life where even the most significant accomplishments leave you feeling empty 
And what used to bring great excitement and happiness now leaves you numb and unsatisfied. We went back to our church in New York where we were raised. When we were raised in church, church was packed. And I asked myself, what, we go back to that church when sermon time comes, same church, good preacher, but I'm thinking, where's all these empty spaces? Where, where are the churches that are jam-packed? And we found them, even in Adventism, we found them, where the music is loud, where there's a whole lot of emotionalism. There's nothing wrong with good music. I'm a musician, I know that. I love good music. But when emotionalism and repetition and trying to get somebody to feel something, and if you don't feel it, it's not legitimate. You even also find these words, instead of worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness, you have these phrases, experience God. Come for worship experience. I used to only see that in Sunday churches. Now it's all over the Adventist world. Worship experience. And it's like everybody's just gyrating and trying to get and walking down the aisle in rhythm and I'm thinking what is that how are you going to get to heaven doing that Jesus didn't dance in the garden of Eden he's in the garden of temptation he said it is written somebody ought to say amen it's written and if we are not standing on the foundation that's solidly based on the word of God which is committed to do what he said it can do then we'll become victims of what's happening in Christianity. It's metamorphosizing from a Bible-based movement to a stimulation-based movement. It's what commentators call feel-good religion. Let me introduce you to somebody that you may never have heard of before. Most people may have never heard of Dr. Vance Havner. Have you heard about him? Okay, we got a teacher in the back. I, I expect Evelyn would hear because she's very well-read. He died when he was 85 years old. Reading part of his, his um, biography or his life sketch. They said he was a godly man so obsessed with the word of God that he began outdoor preaching when he was only 14 years old. And he said he didn't want to stop until he went into glory. His preaching, as he said, didn't bring condemnation but conviction. And he says, that's just what he desired. You may not know him, but you didn't forget his most famous quote. The church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. That was Dr. Vance Havner. Remember, remember that now? He said it first. Dr. Vance Havner detested the social gospel because he saw the social gospel as a band-aid And a cheap solution that did not address repentance and faith. And here's what he said. I'm going to share with you a number of his quotations. Powerful. Dr. Vance Havner said, Plenty of church members are shaky about what they believe, while not many of them are shaken by what they believe. When Dr. Vance Havner saw the declining condition of the church in his day, he said, most church members live so far below the, below the standard that you would have to backslide to be in fellowship with them. That's serious. Dr. Vance said that Christianity that thrives on comfort is useless. 
Here's what he said. He said, we have comfortable homes to ride in. Comfortable homes to live in. Comfortable cars to sit in. Comfortable churches to hear comfortable sermons. How can you know anything about the reproach of Christ? Comfortable. Comfortable. He said, modern-day preachers try to comfort the afflicted, but never afflict the comfortable. Comfort. The church wants comfortable religion. But religion that ignores the demands of the cross will be comfortable. But it won't deliver what God promises that commitment can deliver. That's why Jesus said this as he did through Dr. Luke. In Luke 9 and verse 23, notice, notice the demands of the cross. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you're going to take up your cross daily, that's commitment. That's not stimulation. How many, how many of you read your Bible daily? Or have a daily time of devotional studies? How can you expect to experience what it really means to be committed if all you want to experience is what it means to be stimulated? Because stimulation brings about a feeling, but a feeling will never sustain you in times of difficulty. Committed Christianity is the product of being broken by the gospel. Committed Christianity is the product of being broken by the gospel. I always fear people when they say, oh, I don't have any trials. I'm nervous when I meet Christians that don't have trials. Amen. You know why? Because I've said, God can't trust you to represent him in a trial. Therefore, he hasn't brought the most difficult one yet. Because when God can trust you to represent him in a trial, he can allow you like Job to go through it because he knows you're not going to charge him foolishly. Amen. Matthew 21, 44, look at what happens. Look at what happens that will take you from stimulated to commitment. Here's what Jesus said. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. What is being said? There's not enough broken Christians. Let me help you understand. I don't mean people that are broken emotionally. I mean people that are broken from the natural so they can be put back together in the spiritual. We never break the connection from the natural to become rebuilt in the spiritual. And Dr. Vance, I'm going to bring the quotation up on the screen because I want you to see this one. This one spoke so widely to me about how blessed it is to come to a place in your walk as a Christian where you experience that God just broke me so he could rebuild me. Look at what he said. Brokenness is seen as a weakness to the world, but a sign of strength for the believer. And so he often reminds the church, look at this. That God uses broken things. Look at this. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, 
broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. Brokenness is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. Broken, broken. And Jesus seconds that with the words of John chapter 12 and verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and what? Dies. It abides or remains alone. But if it dies, if it's broken, it produces much grain. That's why the gospel of stimulation is always in controversy with the gospel of commitment. The devil knows what our capacity can be if we allow the gospel of commitment to break us from our natural feelings to our spiritual commitment. Because you can't have two. The gospel of stimulation will fail you every time because there's nothing about troublesome times that are stimulating. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody says, I'm looking forward to more trouble. Oh, no, there's nothing about trouble that's stimulating. But the gospel that stimulates produces fear at the very moment that the gospel of commitment will sustain you. Did you grab that? The gospel of stimulation will produce fear at the very moment that the gospel of commitment will sustain you. What am I saying? Isaiah 41.10. Here's the gospel of commitment. When you're committed to God, not because you feel good, but because he is the same all the time, this is what the promise is to those who are committed to him in times of fear. What does he say in Isaiah 41.10? What are the first two words? Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. What is he saying? When stimulation has drained itself out of your bloodstream and you feel lower than you've ever been before and difficulty comes, only the gospel of commitment can say to you at a time when you should be fearful that you don't need to be fearful. And this, and this hope is not found in ignoring what lies ahead, but it is in looking to God whose sovereignty is certain and whose promises are sure. I am with you. Be not dismayed. Oh, to hear that in times of difficulty will bring comfort to anybody who is committed to God. But if you're committed to feeling, that's not going to work. If you're committed to feeling like God is going to deliver you, that's not going to work. Because sometimes God will choose to be silent when he's working out your situation. Sometimes God will make it appear as though he's forsaken you just so that he could strengthen your faith in believing that he's still there even though he doesn't appear to be. Amen. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But in reality, God didn't forsake Jesus. He was closer to him than at any other time in his earthly ministry. But he hid himself in the clouds. He hid himself in the clouds. God knows how to hide. But God does not hide from those. God does not abandon those who are committed to him. But what is commitment based on? Here it is. 
Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is what commitment is based on. Commitment is based on a covenant. Say that with me. Commitment is based on what? A commitment is based on a covenant. A covenant is unconditional. Because the one who made it is the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. And here's what he says about that unconditional covenant. Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that who's making? That I will make, that the Lord will make with them after those days. Says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, into their hearts, and in their minds I write them. The covenant relationship means that we remain that, that we, when we remain committed to God, God remains committed to us. Now, you might say, hmm, doesn't God still remain committed to us when we are not committed to him? That depends. Now, what does that depend on? That depends on what God, what God is working out. And that's why I've stopped trying to figure out God. I've stopped trying to figure out God. Because I've had experiences where I've said, but, but, but I know that God didn't completely abandon me. Because I made it through my foolishness. But now that I look back on my foolishness, I realize I was not as, not as blessed as I could have been. So sometimes God will put you in a trying place just to get something out of you that he sees that's in you that needs to be taken out. So he can purify you and make you stronger than you were with, with that cancer in you. But then he says, I'm making the covenant. And he puts in your mind that which is unconditional, his law. And he says, if you live in harmony with this, and remain committed to my principles, I'll remain committed to you. Now, I'm going to show you two scriptures that are going to just, uh, before I close, it's going to kind of, it's going to awaken you to something that you may not have seen before. And I'm going to say this before I show you the scripture. Covenant means when we remain committed to God, God remains committed to us. Amen. Hebrews 13.5. Let's say it together. Hebrews 13, 5. Together? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me remind you that this is not the only scripture in the Bible. I too had fallen into the trap of thinking that this is unconditional. This is not unconditional. This is not unconditional. This is about I'm with you if you're with me. Okay? Now, let's, let's go ahead and... Let me go ahead and take this one minute to undo a misconception that has crippled Christianity into thinking that we could live however we want and God is going to bless us anyhow. Here it is. 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1 and 2. I want you to follow this. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. 
And when you study the story, Asa had peace because he followed the Lord. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Hmm. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. That scripture, Hebrews 13, verse 5, has been so often repeated that we didn't think that 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1 and 2 existed. And I'll be candid with you. The, the pitfalls in my life have been because I believed Hebrews 13, 5. But the, but the, but the disappointments in my life is because there was a 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2. What God is saying to the church today is if you want to see the power of God, you stick with me and I'll stick with you. Amen. If you want to see me work, you find me and I'll be, you seek me, you'll find me. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. Why did the Israelites lose in the battle of Ai? Because they went out to battle without asking the Lord to go with them. And a little tiny insignificant army destroyed the Israeli army. Whipped them. When God was with them in the big battles, they said, we don't need you in this one. So they went out in their own strength. And that little army made those Israelite soldiers run with their tails between their legs. So as I wind up, let me make it very clear. What is this in essence saying? Stimulated Christianity convinces us that we can do what we want and still expect God to do what we want. But committed Christianity reminds us that until we comply with God's commands, God will not comply with our demands. Is that clear? Stimulated Christianity convinces us that we are righteous by feeling. This is the dangerous one. But stimulated Christianity reminds us that we are righteous by Christ alone. Amen. Not because we feel it. Stimulated Christianity is the pursuit for self-satisfaction. But committed Christianity is the pursuit of self-sacrifice. I know this is a strange message. Stimulated Christianity is the pursuit of something, something else, something else, something else. And it's endless. But committed Christianity is the pursuit of someone. And when you find him, you don't need something. Amen? As I close, I read in my book, Harvard Press, Mental Toughness, about a man by the name of Sidney Rittenberg. He was incarcerated for 16 years in solitary confinement in communist China. I want you to hear the story. This is a powerful illustration of commitment. He was confined as the story, and there's a movie about him today called Sidney Rittenberg. The Revolutionary is the title of the movie. It's an old documentary. It's very, very old. 
But Sidney Rittenberg was incarcerated in China for 16 years in a tiny pitch black cell. No lights at all. Solitary confinement. When you read the story, he was wrongly identified as a CIA agent. But I read his story, and Rittenberg said, hear the story. He said, I didn't panic when I was put in that tiny pitch black cell, but I remembered what I read when I was a child. And this is what he said. He said, they drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win, and we drew a circle that took them in. I want you to grab this. This is a powerful story. So what did he do? Instead of making, instead of looking at the prison guards as his adversaries, through kindness and love, he drew the prison guards into his circle. He developed relationships that would help him adapt to his confinement. He started talking to those who incarcerated him because he was fluent in Chinese. He then persuaded the guards to bring him books to read. But you heard me right. How can you read books in a pitch black cell? He also convinced them to get him some candles so he can read. He decided after his first year that he was going to devote himself to improving his mind, making his mind more scientific, more pure, and more dedicated. He believed that if he raised his consciousness through relationships, that his captors would understand him better. So Rittenberg, as he said, committed himself to the ideals that surrounded his life. In 1955, six and a half years after he was incarcerated, his prison door was finally opened. And here's the account. There was a representative of the central government of China telling him that he had been wrongly accused, that the government was making a formal apology and that they would do everything possible to make restitution. He said when his captors offered him money to start a new life in the United States or to travel in Europe, Rittenberg declined and chose to stay in China and continued his work. How many people wouldn't want to leave China after being incarcerated in pitch black darkness for six and a half years? That's the last place you want to be. But look at the story. He was committed, this is the memoir, he was committed to use hardship as a stepping stone to personal growth. Today there is a firm called Rittenberg and Associates dedicated to developing business ties between the United States and China. <laughs> and he said, if I, if, I would never, if, I, if I was never incarcerated in that pitch black cell, I wouldn't be equipped to do what has now impacted both the United States and China in the business industry. Rittenberg died in August 2019, but here's what is said. The summary, Sidney Wittenberg could not have survived in a pitch dark cell for six and a half years 
unless he had a cause greater than himself to be committed to. What does that say about us? Until we are committed to the cause of Christ greater than any personal cause, there is no way that we are going to survive in this pitch black world that has incarcerated us in stimulation. Unless we dedicate our minds to be more Christ-like, more pure, more spiritual, we can allow this dark, pitch black world to incarcerate us and just keep us stimulated. Or we can do like Sidney Rittenberg, use the time of darkness to become more pure, more Christ-like, and more spiritual. So I apply to our lives what Sidney applies to his. Speaking of the world, they drew a circle to shut me out. But love and I had a wit to win. We drew a circle that took them in. The world is a dark place, and there's somebody in the world today that is waiting for a Christian who learns how to live in darkness to draw them in. 2022 cannot be another year like last year because stimulation may get us to begin, but only commitment will allow us to endure to the end. That's why this passage now makes more sense to me as I invite the praise team to come out. Because this song that they're going to sing is an embodiment of what I want Thompsonville to be for 2022. I think that our slogan for this year should be one simple word, not some long five-page sentence, but one word should define who we are in Thompsonville. Committed. Come on, say it with me. Committed. And you put the other committed to Bible study, committed to marriage, committed to witnessing, committed to service, committed to attending church, committed to being at Sabbath school when the church doors open, committed. Because if you're not committed in this vacillating world, there is no way that you're going to be committed when the kingdom comes because God is not going to change you overnight to become a committed Christian. That's why Paul says, for this reason, Oh, I also suffer these things, just like Sidney Rittenberg. He suffered. Suffering is part of this life. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have together committed to him until that day. So my question today is simple. Are you stimulated or are you committed? That's your personal question. But if you no longer want to be stimulated, but you want to be committed, will you stand with me? Now I want you to know that God is going to note this. Because commitment doesn't require stimulation. Commitment, whatever you commit to God, He'll make it happen. He will keep that which you commit to him. Whatever you commit, your study life, your prayer life, your married life, your social life, your family life, your entertainment life, your, 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 your viewing life, whatever you commit to God, he will make it acceptable in his sight and he'll hold on to that and sustain it all the way to the end. 
That's why today, what is your hope built on? As we sing this song, I pray, just the first and last stanza, I pray that as we sing this song, it's the prelude to us being committed. Those of you that are watching, I'm challenging you to be committed. I'm challenging you to be committed this year, 2022. Be committed and refuse to just be stimulated. Let's sing this hymn together. talked about this at home that we want to be more committed in 2022 ourselves we study our bibles together we pray together we do devotionals together but there's still that more in your home there's more that you can do don't ever think that coming up higher is a deficit coming up higher is getting closer and closer to god's ideal for your christian walk amen somebody when you come up higher you'll begin to see what committed is all about Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was stimulated. He went to the cross because he was committed. If he can commit all that for me, what can I commit to him? The, the psalmist says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I'm going to ask my wife to pray this morning that we can go into 2022 committed to the Christ who never failed us, and to the cause that will never fail. Let's bow our heads. <coughs> Excuse me. Our precious Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, praising you, thanking you for the, bringing us through 2021 to 2022. Lord, you're merciful, you're good and kind. I choose, we choose to serve you. And I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice will choose to commit to you today for the rest of their lives to make a commitment that will not waver, that we will stand firm in the Lord. Thank Amen. you, Father, for each family that's represented here, husband, wife, children, and Lord, all of us want to be in the kingdom. We want to see you, Lord. We look forward to that glorious day. But we want to stand firm with you. You know, we know that you will stand with us. So keep us what we keep what we have committed to you from this day forward, and bless us as we walk 
in this new path for this new year, a new page is written. May we not smear it, but by the grace of God, we will keep it. And may we just pray that each and every one of us, Lord, look forward to that glorious day, will outshine any other day. And lo, we will look up and say, lo, this is our God. We have, you have saved us. And we thank you for saving us. We thank you for redeeming us. And we thank you for the future and the hope you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.